section seven of psychology of the unconscious by carl jung this librivox recording is in the public domain section seven chapter three part one the hymn of creation the second chapter in miss miller's work is entitled gloire a dire poem honorique when twenty years of age miss miller took a long journey through europe we leave the description of it to her after a long and rough journey from new york to stockholm from there to petersburg and odessa i found it a true pleasure to leave the world of inhabited cities and to enter the world of waves sky and silence i stayed hours long on deck to dream stretched out in a reclining chair the histories legends and myths of the different countries which i saw in the distance came back to me indistinctly blended together in a sort of luminous mist in which things lost their reality while the dreams and thoughts alone took on somewhat the appearance of reality at first i even avoided all company and kept to myself lost wholly in my dreams where all that i knew of great beautiful and good came back into my consciousness with new strength and new life i also employed a great part of my time writing to my distant friends reading and sketching out short poems about the regions visited some of these poems were of a very serious character it may seem superfluous perhaps to enter intimately into all these details if we recall however the remark made above that when people let their unconscious speak they always tell us the most important things of their intimate selves then even the smallest detail appears to have meaning valuable personalities invariably tell us through their unconscious things that are generally valuable so that patient interest is rewarded miss miller describes here a state of introversion after the life of the cities with their many impressions had been absorbing her interest with that already discussed strength of suggestion which powerfully enforced the impression she breathed freely upon the ocean and after so many external impressions became engrossed wholly in the internal with intentional abstraction from the surroundings so that things lost their reality and dreams became truth we know from psychopathology that certain mental disturbances exist which are first manifested by the individuals shutting themselves off slowly more and more from reality and sinking into their fantasies during which process in proportion as the reality loses its hold the inner world gains in reality and determining power this process leads to a certain point which varies with the individual when the patients suddenly become more or less conscious of their separation from reality the event which then enters is the pathological excitation that is to say the patients begin to turn towards the environment with diseased views to be sure which however still represent the compensating although unsuccessful attempt at transference the methods of reaction are naturally very different i will not concern myself more closely about this here this type appears to be generally a psychological rule which holds good for all neuroses and therefore also for the normal in a much less degree 
we might therefore expect that miss miller after this energetic and persevering introversion which had even encroached for a time upon the feeling of reality would succumb anew to an impression of the real world and also to just as suggestive and energetic an influence as that of her dreams let us proceed with the narrative but as the journey drew to an end the ship's officers outdid themselves in kindness to ce qu'il y a de plus impressé et de plus aimable and i passed many amusing hours teaching them english on the sicilian coast in the harbour of catania i wrote a sailor's song which was very similar to a song well known on the sea brine wine and damsels fine the italians in general all sing very well and one of the officers who sang on deck during night watch had made a great impression upon me and had given me the idea of writing some words adapted to his melody soon after that i was very nearly obliged to reverse the well-known saying vetter napoli e poi morir that is to say suddenly i became very ill although not dangerously so i recovered to such an extent however that i could go on land to visit the sights of the city in a carriage this day tired me very much and since we had planned to see pisa the following day i went on board early in the evening and soon lay down to sleep without thinking of anything more serious than the beauty of the officers and the ugliness of the italian beggars one is somewhat disappointed at meeting here instead of the expected impression of reality rather a small intermezzo of flirtation nevertheless one of the officers the singer had made a great impression il m'avait fait beaucoup d'impression the remark at the close of the description sans songer a rien de plus sérieux qu'à la beauté des officiers and so on diminishes the seriousness of the impression it is true the assumption however that the impression openly influenced the mood very much is supported by the fact that a poem upon a subject of such an erotic character came forth immediately brine wine and damsels fine and in the singer's honour one is only too easily inclined to take such an impression lightly and one admits so gladly the statements of the participators when they represent everything as simple and not at all serious i dwell upon this impression at length because it is important to know that an erotic impression after such an introversion has a deep effect and is undervalued possibly by miss miller the suddenly passing sickness is obscure and needs a psychologic interpretation which cannot be touched upon here because of lack of data the phenomena now to be described can only be explained as arising from a disturbance which reaches to the very depths of her being from naples to laverno the ship travelled for a night during which i slept more or less well my sleep however is seldom deep or dreamless it seemed to me as if my mother's voice wakened me just at the end of the following dream at first i had a vague conception of the words when the morning stars sang together which were the preludium of a certain confused representation of creation and of the mighty chorals resounding through the universe in spite of the strange contradictory and confused character which is peculiar to the dream there was mingled in it the chorus of an oratorio which has been given by one of the foremost musical societies of new york and with that were also memories of milton's paradise lost then from out of this world there slowly emerged certain words which arranged themselves into three strophes and indeed they seemed to be in my 
own handwriting on ordinary blue-lined writing-paper on a page of my old poetry-book which i always carried around with me in short they appeared to me exactly as some minutes later they were in reality in my book miss miller now wrote down the following poem which she rearranged somewhat a few months later to make it more nearly in her opinion like the dream original when the eternal first made sound a myriad ears sprang out to hear and throughout all the universe there rolled an echo deep and clear all glory to the god of sound when the eternal first made light a myriad eyes sprang out to look and hearing ears and seeing eyes once more a mighty choral took all glory to the god of light when the eternal first gave love a myriad hearts sprang into life ears filled with music eyes with light pealed forth with hearts with love all rife all glory to the god of love before we enter upon miss miller's attempt to bring to light through her suppositions the root of this subliminal creation we will attempt a short analytic survey of the material already in our possession the impression on the ship has already been properly emphasized so that we need have no further difficulty in gaining possession of the dynamic process which brought about this poetical revelation it was made clear in the preceding paragraphs that miss miller possibly had not inconsiderably undervalued the importance of the erotic impression this assumption gains in probability through experience which shows that very generally relatively weak erotic impressions are greatly undervalued one can see this best in cases where those concerned either from social or moral grounds consider an erotic relation as something quite impossible for example parents and children brothers and sisters relations homosexual between older and younger men and so on if the impression is relatively slight then it does not exist at all for the participators if the impression is strong then a tragic dependence arises which may result in some great nonsense or be carried to any extent this lack of understanding can go unbelievably far mothers who see the first directions of the small son in their own bed a sister who half playfully embraces her brother a twenty-year-old daughter who still seats herself on her father's lap and then has strange sensations in her abdomen they are all morally indignant to the highest degree if one speaks of sexuality finally our whole education is carried on with the tacit agreement to know as little as possible of the erotic and to spread abroad the deepest ignorance in regard to it it is no wonder therefore that the judgment in puncto of the importance of an erotic impression is generally unsafe and inadequate miss miller was under the influence of a deep erotic impression as we have seen because of the sum total of the feelings aroused by this it does not seem that this impression was more than dimly realized for the dream had to contain a powerful repetition from analytic experience one knows that the early dreams which patients bring for analysis are none the less of especial interest because of the fact that they bring out criticisms and valuations of the physician's personality which previously would have been asked for directly in vain they enrich the conscious impression which the patient had of his physician and often concerning very important points they are naturally erotic observations which the unconscious was forced to make just because of the quite universal undervaluation and uncertain judgment of the relatively weak erotic impression in the drastic and 
hyperbolic manner of expression of the dream the impression often appears in almost unintelligible form on account of the immeasurable dimension of the symbol a further peculiarity which seems to rest upon the historic strata of the unconscious is this that an erotic impression to which conscious acknowledgment is denied usurps an earlier and discarded transference and expresses itself in that therefore it frequently happens for example that among young girls at the time of their first love remarkable difficulties develop in the capacity for erotic expression which may be reduced analytically to disturbances through a regressive attempt at resuscitation of the father image or the father imago indeed one might presume something similar in miss miller's case for the idea of the masculine creative deity is a derivation analytically and historically psychologic of the father imago and aims above all to replace the discarded infantile father transference in such a way that for the individual the passing from the narrow circle of the family into the wider circle of human society may be simpler or made easier in the light of this reflection we can see in the poem and its preludium the religious poetically formed product of an introversion depending upon the surrogate of the father imago in spite of the incomplete apperception of the effectual impression essential component parts of this are included in the idea of compensation as marks so to speak of its origin pfister has coined for this the striking expression law of the return of the complex the effectual impression was that of the officer singing in the night watch when the morning stars sang together the idea of this opened a new world to the girl creation this creator has created tone then light and then love that the first to be created should have been tone can be made clear only individually for there is no cosmogony except the gnosis of hermes a generally quite unknown system which would have such tendencies but now we might venture a conjecture which is already apparent and which soon will be proven thoroughly viz the following chain of associations the singer the singing morning stars the god of tone the creator the god of light of the sun of the fire and of love the links of this chain are proven by the material with the exception of sun and fire which i put in parentheses but which however will be proven through what follows in the further course of the analysis all of these expressions with one exception belong to erotic speech my god star light my son fire of love fiery love etc creator appears indistinct at first but becomes understandable through the reference to the undertone of eros to the vibrating chord of nature which attempts to renew itself in every pair of lovers and awaits the wonder of creation miss miller had taken pains to disclose the unconscious creation of her mind to her understanding and indeed through a procedure which agrees in principle with psychoanalysis and therefore leads to the same results as psychoanalysis but as usually happens with laymen and beginners miss miller because she had no knowledge of psychoanalysis left off at the thoughts which necessarily bring the deep complex lying at the bottom of it to light in an indirect that is to say censored manner more than this a simple method merely the carrying out 
of the thought to its conclusion is sufficient to discover the meaning miss miller finds it astonishing that her unconscious fantasy does not following the mosaic account of creation put light in the first place instead of tone now follows an explanation theoretically constructed and correct ad hoc the hollowness of which is however characteristic of all similar attempts at explanation she says it is perhaps interesting to recall that anaxagoras also had the cosmos arise out of chaos through a sort of whirlwind which does not happen usually without producing sound but at this time i had studied no philosophy and knew nothing either of anaxagoras or of his theories about the noose which i unconsciously was openly following at that time also i was equally in complete ignorance of leibniz and therefore knew nothing of his doctrine dum deus calculat fit mundus miss miller's references to anaxagoras and to leibniz both refer to creation by means of thought that is to say that divine thought alone could bring forth a new material reality a reference at first not intelligible but which will soon however be more easily understood we now come to those fancies from which miss miller principally drew her unconscious creation in the first place there is the paradise lost by milton which we had at home in the edition illustrated by doré and which had often delighted me from childhood then the book of job which had been read aloud to me since the time of my earliest recollection moreover if one compares the first words of paradise lost with my first verse one notices as there is the same verse measure of man's first disobedience when the eternal first made sound my poem also recalls various passages in job and one or two places in handel's oratorio the creation which came out very indistinctly in the first part of the dream the lost paradise which as is well known is so closely connected with the beginning of the world is made more clearly evident by the verse of man's first disobedience which is concerned evidently with the fall the meaning of which need not be shown any further i know the objection which every one unacquainted with psychoanalysis will raise viz that miss miller might just as well have chosen any other verse as an example and that accidentally she had taken the first one that happened to appear which had this content almost accidentally as is well known the criticism which we hear equally from our medical colleagues and from our patients is generally based on such arguments this misunderstanding arises from the fact that the law of causation in the psychical sphere is not taken seriously enough that is to say there are no accidents no just as wells it is so and there is therefore a sufficient reason at hand why it is so it is moreover true that miss miller's poem is connected with the fall wherein just that erotic component comes forth the existence of which we have surmised above miss miller neglects to tell which passages in job occurred to her mind these unfortunately are therefore only general suppositions take first the analogy to the lost paradise job lost all that he had and this was due to an act of satan who wished to incite him against god in the same way mankind through the temptation of the serpent lost paradise and was plunged into earth's torments the idea or rather the mood which is expressed by the reference to the lost paradise is miss miller's feeling that she had lost something which was connected with satanic temptation to her it happened just as to job that she suffered innocently for she did not fall a victim to temptation job's sufferings are not understood by his friends no one knows that satan has taken a hand in the game and that job is truly innocent 
job never tires of avowing his innocence is there a hint in that we know that certain neurotic and especially mentally diseased people continually defend their innocence against non-existent attacks however one discovers at a closer examination that the patient while he apparently defends his innocence without reason fulfils with that a deckhand lung the energy for which arises from just those impulses whose sinful character is revealed by the contents of the pretended reproach and calumny job suffered doubly on one side through the loss of his fortune on the other through the lack of understanding in his friends the latter can be seen throughout the book the suffering of the misunderstood recalls the figure of cyrano de bergerac he too suffered doubly on one side through hopeless love on the other side through misunderstanding he falls as we have seen in the last hopeless battle against le mensonge les compromis les préjugés les lachetés et la sottise oui vous m'arrachez tout le laurier et la rose job laments god delivereth me to the ungodly and casteth me into the hands of the wicked i was at ease and he brake me asunder yea he hath taken me by the neck and dashed me to pieces he hath also set me up for his mark his archers compass me round about he cleaveth my reins asunder and doth not spare he poureth out my gall upon the ground he breaketh me with breach upon breach he runneth upon me like a giant job sixteen eleven through fifteen the analogy of feeling lies in the suffering of the hopeless struggle against the more powerful it is as if this conflict were accompanied from afar by the sounds of creation which brings up a beautiful and mysterious image belonging to the unconscious and which has not yet forced its way up to the light of the upper world we surmise rather than know that this battle has really something to do with creation with the struggles between negations and affirmations the references to rost and cyrano through the identification with christian to milton's paradise lost to the sorrows of job misunderstood by his friends betray plainly that in the soul of the poet something was identified with these ideas she also has suffered like cyrano and job has lost paradise and dreams of creation creation by means of thought fruition through the whirlwind of anaxagoras we once more submit ourselves to miss miller's guidance i remember that when fifteen years old i was once very much stirred up over an article read aloud to me by my mother concerning the idea which spontaneously produced its object i was so excited that i could not sleep all night because of thinking over and over again what that could mean from the age of nine to sixteen i went every sunday to a presbyterian church in charge of which at that time was a very cultured minister in one of the earliest memories which i have retained of him i see myself as a very small girl sitting in a very large pew continually endeavouring to keep myself awake and pay attention without in the least being able to understand what he meant when he spoke to us of chaos cosmos and the gift of love don d'amour there are also rather early memories of the awakening of puberty nine to sixteen which have connected the idea of the cosmos springing from chaos with the dawn d'amour the medium in which these associations occur is the memory of a certain very much honoured ecclesiastic who spoke those dark words from the same period of time comes the remembrance of that excitement about the idea of the creative thought which from itself produced its object here are two ways of creation intimated the creative thought and the mysterious reference to the don d'amour at the time when i had not yet understood the nature 
of psychoanalysis i had a fortunate opportunity of winning through continual observation a deep insight into the soul of a fifteen-year-old girl then i discovered with astonishment what the contents of the unconscious fantasies are and how far removed they are from those which a girl of that age shows outwardly there are wide-reaching fantasies of truly mythical fruitfulness the girl was in the split-off fantasy the race mother of uncounted peoples if we deduct the poetically spoken fantasy of the girl elements are left which at that age are common to all girls for the unconscious content is to an infinitely greater degree common to all mankind than the content of the individual consciousness for it is the condensation of that which is historically the average and ordinary miss miller's problem at this age was the common human problem how am i to be created nature knows but one answer to that through the child don d'amour but how is the child attained here the terrifying problem emerges which as our analytic experience shows is connected with the father where it cannot be solved because the original sin of incest weighs heavily for all time upon the human race the strong and natural love which binds the child to the father turns away in those years during which the humanity of the father would be all too plainly recognized to the higher forms of the father to the fathers of the church and to the father god visibly represented by them and in that there lies still less possibility of solving the problem however mythology is not lacking in consolations has not the logos become flesh too has not the divine numa even the logos entered the virgin's womb and lived among us as the son of man the whirlwind of anaxagoras was precisely the divine noose which from out of itself has become the world why do we cherish the image of the virgin mother even to this day because it is always comforting and says without speech or noisy sermon to the one seeking comfort i too have become a mother through the idea which spontaneously produces its object i believe that there is foundation enough at hand for a sleepless night if those fantasies peculiar to the age of puberty were to become possessed of this idea the results would be immeasurable all that is psychologic has an under and an over-meaning as is expressed in the profound remark of the old mystic the heaven above the heaven below the sky above the sky below all things above all things below decline and rise we would show but slight justice however to the intellectual originality of our author if we were satisfied to trace back the commotion of that sleepless night absolutely and entirely to the sexual problem in a narrow sense that would be but one half and truly to make use of the mystic's expression only the under half the other half is the intellectual sublimation which strives to make true in its own way the ambiguous expression of the idea which produces its object spontaneously ideal creation in place of the real End of chapter three part one